Our reading is printed in the bulletin and I invite you to read along as we go through it. Psalm 67 verses 1 to 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we've just sung, fill the earth with songs of worship. And Lord, what I pray you would do in these next 40 minutes or so is that you would take that, Lord, from being words on our lips to being the cry of our heart. Help us to mean those words, Lord, that we've just read. May the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that by your power you would come and engage all that we are to be receptive to all that you have said and all that you are that our thinking, our feeling, our ambitions may all, Lord, be shaped and bent to conform to your will. As I do that, Lord, I know I ask for a miracle. And that's why I ask you for this. Would you do, Lord, now what only you can? Hallowed be your name. Amen. We've been hearing much in recent weeks about different aspects of the Christian life. Marriage, suffering, spiritual warfare, prayer. And how these aspects of the Christian life are impacted by our our understanding of the big story. And today we come to perhaps the biggest question of all. What is the purpose for the Christian life in the first place? Why is there such a thing as the Christian life? Why are we here right now? 
what is the reason for this stage in the biggest story ever told, right? We've been trying to hash that out. What, what's, what's unique? What's, what is it about our spot in the story? And today we're asking, why is there a spot like this in the story? Why are we here? And what's the part that we're supposed to play in it? And the answer to these questions is that the church has a mission. We are not just here passing time. We're here because we have a job to do. And that job, that mission, is to bring glory to God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to and making disciples of all nations. In other words, what we just read from Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission, just what that passage of scripture is called, is not a side project for some Christians to engage in. It is the mission that all of us have been given a part in fulfilling. That's what this morning is about. As we begin to explore these things, I want to remind us, and many of you have been here for this whole journey over the past several months, and some of you are maybe here for one of the first times, but I want to remind us that this mission did not come out of nowhere. As we've walked through scripture this year, we've seen that God's concern from day one has always been global. God commanded Adam and Eve and then Noah after them to fill what? The earth and subdue it. And then God's concern for all the peoples of the earth was made clear when when he called Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham and promised him, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 22, 28. Abraham was chosen and called for the sake of the nations. This global mission was what it was about. And this global mission was fulfilled partially or a a step in its fulfillment when God called Israel and and, and entered into covenant with them at the foot of Mount Sinai. He told them there in Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So again, we've, we, we considered this verse and, and, and saw how Israel was to be a nation of royal priests representing God to the nations. And that, that it go, goes down all the way to the reason for the patch of land that they were given, right? That, 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 that stretch of land that God promised to Abraham and, and, and gave to Israel was right at the crossroads of the major superpowers of the ancient world. You had Egypt on one hand, and on the other side, you had Mesopotamia, where there was Babylon and, and later Syria, uh, uh, Persia. And, and people passed through that patch of land constantly. It was, the, it was the crossroads of the ancient world. And God put Israel there and put them on display for all of the other nations to see. Everyone would have seen them. Everyone had to go through that patch of land. And so Israel's mission was to obey God and enjoy his blessing so that all the nations around them would see this. They would see these people living this incredibly blessed life and they would be drawn to become worshipers of God themselves. That was Israel's mission, to represent God to the nations who would come and see. And this mission was, was, is celebrated several times in the Psalms. Listen to these words from Psalm 96 and think about these words in the context of this these truths that we've been considering. Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Do you hear there? Families of the peoples. It's talking about the Gentile nations. And this psalm is inviting them to bring an offering and come into the temple courts to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. It's hard to miss. It's hard to miss it. Think about Psalm 67, which we read together this morning and and sang. Did you catch that new song that we sang? It comes from Psalm 67. Do you notice how verse 1 and 2 connect together in summing up the the, the mission that Israel had? Verse 1 of Psalm 67 comes right out of the blessing that, that the priests would give to the people. In Numbers 6, we read how the the priests were to speak to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And these words sum up all all of the blessings of that covenant that that, that God had had promised. And this sums it all up together. This is the summary of all of God's blessings to them. And what was the point? Why these blessings? Why did God bless them? Because of verse 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Verse two, that, here, this is the reason, this is the purpose for all of God's blessing, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And then do you hear verse three? Let the peoples praise you, oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. These are not just nice religious sentiments that don't mean anything. By the way, nothing in the Bible is a nice religious sentiment that doesn't mean anything. This is articulating truth that's at the very heart of God's purpose in the world. Israel's mission was to glorify God so that real people from the nations around them would be drawn and would worship the God of Israel. And many times as we read through the Old Testament, we know that this happened. Think about Rahab. Think about Ruth. Think about the Queen of Sheba. Think about Naaman, the Syrian. Many times we can point to this happening as Gentiles came and found themselves worshiping the one true God. And yet, is it not true that for the most part, Israel tended to ignore their mission? They, they, they did not fulfill this. Like we heard last week in Israel, or sorry, last week in Ezekiel chapter 36, instead of bringing God glory among the nations, Israel so often profaned his name among the nations. And so God promised a new covenant in which all of his promises would be fulfilled and his glory would be vindicated in all the world. And that brings us to Jesus, high priest of the new covenant and promised offspring of Abraham who brings blessing to all the nations, right? God promised Abraham an offspring and Jesus is that offspring. And like we saw back in December, we spent a whole week on this, December 2nd, I believe. The blessing that Jesus brings to the nations is the, the, nations is the blessing of the gospel. 
the blessing of being justified by faith, the blessing of being adopted into God's family, the blessing of the Holy Spirit coming to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Galatians 3.14 says, Jesus died, quote, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And this verse shows us this amazing truth. The, the blessings of Abraham flow to the nations through the death of Christ. But it also reminds us of something important. The blessings of Abraham flow to the nations through Christ, not automatically. It doesn't just happen by itself. People need to receive these blessings through faith. Which means that the nations need to hear about Jesus and believe in him if they're going to experience these promised blessings. If people are going to get in on what Jesus has done, they need to hear about it. Romans 10 makes this point very clear. Romans 10, 12 to 15 says, <coughs> There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's a watertight argument there. There's no room in between those phrases. If the nations are going to be blessed in Jesus, they need to be told about him. And that's why shortly before ascending into heaven, Jesus stood on a mountainside in Galilee and said to his disciples, just listen to these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, there's so much here, but for our sake this morning, for our purposes, there's only three things that I'm going to highlight about these incredible verses from Matthew 28. Three things we need to notice about the Great Commission. First of all, do you notice the change in program? In, in the old covenants, God put Israel in a spot, gave them land, and invited the nations to come and see. In the new covenant, we don't have a spot where we're told to stay put. Instead, Jesus sends his people to go and tell. See that difference? From come and see to go and tell. Second thing that we should notice is that this phrase, all nations, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all all nations. That is a direct quotation from Genesis 20. I have here in my notes, 22, 18. I have a feeling it's earlier in my notes. I had 26, 18. So if you're taking notes, it's either 22 or 26 verse 18, where God promised Abraham that in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed in your offspring shall all the nations in the, in the originals for this, in the Greek version, all nations is the exact same phrase Jesus uses when he says, go therefore and make disciples of 
all nations. So this shows us the way that the promise to Abraham of of blessing to the nations, the way this gets fulfilled is through the Great Commission. The way that the nations are blessed in Jesus is by Jesus' followers going to all nations and making disciples of them. It's just amazing, right? On a hill in Galilee, Jesus is speaking the words that are going to finish off this promise to Abraham that was about 2,000 years old at that point already. The third thing I want us to notice here is that the word nations is not referring to political nations like Canada or the Ukraine or Zimbabwe. That, that, that's, not, that's not what this is referring to. The word is ethne. You hear a, a, a ring there to ethnicity or ethnic And a way to translate this word could be peoples. Go therefore and make disciples of all peoples. Revelation 5.9 helps fill in what this word means when it says that Jesus ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This, is, this rounds out the meaning of nation a little bit more. This isn't talking about lines in a border. So we can't say, well, we've been to that country. We've got their, that country's stamp on our visa. Therefore, we've reached that country. That's not what this means. It's talking about groups like language groups, people groups. And that's so important because when we dial into that, we realize that the Great Commission has not been finished yet. Let me give you some numbers. Some of these are going to be review for, for some of you. They estimate there's between 65 and 6,900 language groups in the world. Groups of people united by a common language. And right now it's estimated that 2,500 of those language groups have no access to the gospel in their own language. They have to learn another language if they're going to hear about Jesus. There's other ways of defining people groups in different ways that that puts the number of people groups unreached by the gospel at about 7,000. And of those 7,000 people groups unreached by the gospel, about 3,000 of them are what missiologists call unengaged. And unengaged means that this is a whole distinct nation of people with no missionaries attempting to make contact with them. No one's going to them. No one's made connection. 3,000 groups of people. And this is the unfinished task in front of us. This is our mission at our stage in the story. This is why our spot in the story exists Because there's a 4,000-year-old promise waiting to be fulfilled. And the risen Christ has told his people to go. And if this is true, then I think you will agree with me that reaching the unreached peoples of the earth with the good news of Jesus is not just something the church happens to do. It is the whole reason we exist. It is the task of highest stakes and of the greatest rewards and of the utmost urgency. This is our mission. 
to make disciples of all nations, including, and perhaps especially, those 3,000 nations where there's no one who knows Jesus and no one going to them to tell them. And all I'm going to really do in the rest of this message this morning is ask you two questions. Question number one, do you believe this is true? Question number two, what are you going to do about it? It's my two questions for the rest of this morning. Let's begin with that first question. Do you really believe that all of this is true? Do you believe that the purpose for the creation of the world, the purpose for the creation of you, is the glory of God? Do you believe that you are alive at this moment? Your heart is beating at this moment to make your creator look great. Do you believe that all these stories that we've been hearing about are real? Do you believe there's a real man named Abraham who wandered around the Middle East 4,000 years ago? Do you believe that the creator of the universe really met with him and promised him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring? Do you believe that this offspring really did come? A real Jewish man named Jesus, Yeshua, who really walked around the Middle East 2,000 or so years ago and who was really executed by the Romans on a hill called Golgotha. Do you believe that this Jewish man was the son of God himself? Do you believe that as he died, he was paying for the sins of his people from every nation on earth, literally buying people for God, like Revelation 5, 9 says? Do you believe that this Jesus walked out of his grave three days later? Do you believe that God has made him both Lord and Christ and that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? Do you believe that all peoples of planet earth owe this man their allegiance? Do you believe that this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has authority over kings and queens, and prime ministers, and premiers, and mayors? Do you believe that all authority right here in Nipawin, in every civic dealing, in every business, behind every closed door of every home, all authority belongs to this man, Jesus Christ? Do you believe that this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is alive today? Do you believe that he is really going to come back like he promised? Do you believe that there is really going to be a day when people wake up and brush their teeth and there's going to be a trumpet sound and he's really going to split the skies and he is really going to come back and the eyes of every skeptic and every sinner are going to see him? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he gathered his disciples around him on a hillside outside Jerusalem and said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you believe that he was telling the truth? 
Do you really believe those words we sang earlier? That Christ must have the prize for which he died. An inheritance of nations. Do you believe that? Now it's time for my second question. If you believe all of this is true, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because we have to do something about it. If we believe, we must act. So what are you going to do about it? Some of you have an answer to that question already. Some of you are working on your answer to that question. And I praise God for that. But let me suggest to you this morning the answer that many people should have to this question. The answer that many people should give in response to this question. What am I going to do about it? I'll go. I'll go, just like Jesus said. I'll pack my things. And I'll move to another part of the world where people don't know Jesus and have no access to it, to his news. And I'll tell them, I'll actually go. That's the answer that many people should have to this question. This is the answer that I have been praying numbers of you in this room today would have to this question. That you would actually say, why not me? You don't need to be a special kind of a person to go. I thought that way for years. I thought that the Great Commission, this command to go, didn't apply to most Christians. Most of us just get to carry on with life as normal. Most of us just get to live and die in the country that we were born. The Great Commission is for missionaries. And missionaries, as we all know, are a completely different breed of human. Missionaries are a set of highly spiritual super-Christians. Missionaries know they're missionaries because at some point in their life, they received a supernatural, unmistakable call from God. And at that moment, he gave them the special ability to live off of $500 a month and write cheery email newsletters. And if you're one of those really special people, known as missionaries, then the Great Commission applies to you and you should go. But if you're not one of those really special people, if God has not personally descended from on high to give you a personal invitation to go be a missionary, then the Great Commission doesn't really apply to you. And you can just carry on with your life as normal. That's the idea I grew up with and sort of assumed was normal. But it's not. It's not true. Missionaries aren't special kinds of Christians. I know this by experience. I've spent a lot of time over the years with many different missionaries. Some of you know my journey to the journey to pastoral ministry started off as a journey to foreign missions. Missionaries are profoundly weak, normal people, just like the rest of us. They're ordinary Christians who just said yes when Jesus said go. 
And we should know this biblically. Who did Jesus choose to be his apostles? Fishermen, a government employee, you know, a tax collector, a bean counter, a terrorist, right? Simon the Zealot. Maybe he wasn't normal. The rest of them were. Maybe there was a time a couple hundred years ago when being a missionary meant you had to ride on a boat for three months and there was no malaria pills and you had to basically be an explorer. Maybe back then you had to be a special kind of person to actually go. But today, most of this does not apply. Anyone can buy a plane ticket and be anywhere in the world by the next day. And in today's global economy, it is ne- it's never been easier to go. Anyone with a trade or a marketable skill can go almost anywhere in the world and just set up shop. This is the whole new wave of missions that, has, that, that people have been waking up to in recent years. If you're a, a, a computer tech or a car mechanic, you can just go be a computer tech or a car mechanic in some city where people don't have access to the gospel. You don't even need to raise support that way. You just go do your job. You become a part of the community. You get to know people. And then you tell them about Jesus. People are waking up to this. There are churches that I'm aware of that are sending hundreds of ordinary Christians around the world to least reached places to just go be ordinary Christians there and tell people about Jesus. That's called being a missionary. Almost anyone can be a missionary. I know in these talks about going that it's usually the younger people that are gathered. And Bible college students, you know, you've heard me speak about this in the fall. You know I'm I'm targeting you. And children in this room, you know I'm targeting you too. I hope you do because you're not too young to think about this kind of stuff. 20-somethings in the room. I'm talking to you. You're making major life decisions. You're charting your course. You need to hear this. But I know people who moved to Thailand when their children were in high school and set up shop there. I know... I've heard of many couples who've taken retirement from their first careers and shooed their adult children out of the house and have gone to unreached people groups as second career missionaries. There are so many reasons why you should not count yourself out of this this morning. And please don't wait for God to call you. That's another idea that's just not biblical. Sometimes that happens, but there's nowhere in the Bible that it says, You need to wait for a second personal invitation from God before you obey the Great Commission. It's just not there. Jesus already gave us a call. The the call is here in Matthew chapter 28. Go! And it's up to us to say, okay. So what I'm saying this morning is that lots and lots of ordinary Christians, including some of you in this very room, need to obey Jesus by going to unreached peoples. Now I know how this sounds. I know how scary this sounds. I know how terrifying this sounds, right? It's easy to be excited about missions as long as it's someone else's job. But really, me? And this can sound really radical, what I'm saying this morning. And maybe you're tempted to dismiss what I'm saying this morning for that reason. Maybe you're tempted to write this off because it just sounds so radical. But I would remind you of the words of your Savior, Jesus if you know him, because he said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, you want to save your life? 
for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you hear what your Savior's saying? By definition, being a Christian means that we are willing to do absolutely anything King Jesus asks us to do up to and including death. That's the meaning of that phrase, right? Take up your cross. That's not talking about a cranky relative. Taking up your cross means dying. In the first century when Jesus was speaking, people took up their crosses when they were going to carry them out to be crucified on them. That's what this means, is that we go die. And Jesus was telling them that he was going to go die in Jerusalem. And he says, if you want to be my follower, you have to come die with me. If you are a Christian, you have signed your life away to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't keep any of it for ourselves. And let me remind you that many Christians throughout history have done this literally, literally died on literal crosses for the sake of Jesus. So if you've signed up for that, if you've signed your life away to the risen Christ, if you are willing for crucifixion, which if you are a Christian, by definition, you are, then moving across the world is no big deal. That's what I'm saying this morning. Because to be a Christian, by definition, is to be willing to do anything for Jesus. I remember hearing the story a few years ago of the elite team that took down Osama bin Laden. Maybe you don't agree with the politics of that, but forget that for the, for the moment. And that team, before they left the United States of America, every single one of them wrote a goodbye letter to their families. They were dads, husbands. Every single one of them wrote a goodbye letter and they agreed to go because they believed that going and dying for this cause was worth it. And as we know, they didn't die. They all got to come back. That was bonus, but they were willing to die. And friends, being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you too have written that letter. You too have written that goodbye letter to all of your family, every possession you own. You have said to Jesus, anything, anything, everything for you at any point. My life is a blank check and you can cash it at any point. That is what it means to be a Christian by definition. Nothing held back. And if that's true, then getting to move to another part of the world is no big deal. So the question is not, has God called me to be a missionary? The question is, can I play my part in the mission? The question is, what can I do to be a part of finishing the task? The question is not, should I go? The question is, why should I not go to the front lines. Why not me? Now I want to acknowledge this morning that there are some really good question, answers to that question. Why should I not go? There's some good answers. Factors like health and age might make it impossible. And also, we need lots of good Christians here in Canada. 
We need lots of good Christians here in Canada to serve and represent Jesus in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, in civic life, in all the ministries and Bible camps and all the good work that needs to be done here on the home front. We need good Christians here. We need good Christians to earn good incomes to support those on the front lines. Listen to me here. If Emmanuel Baptist Church is going to send out missionaries at the rate that we are supposed to in coming years, we will need lots of generous givers who reject materialism and free up significant portions of their incomes to support those on the front lines. But please don't think, please don't think, whew, he took the pressure off. I was a little uncomfortable there for a bit. I thought maybe I should be asking myself to go, but oh, good, you know, people can stay. Please don't do that because I really believe with all of my heart that every single one of us needs to ask that question, why not me? Every single one of us needs to ask the question, where can I be the most strategic for the global cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? And every single one of us must be willing to go. Because if you're not willing to go, if you think that the Great Commission is just someone else's job, if you think that just staying put is your right, then it's just going to be way too easy for you to settle into a nice, comfortable North American life full to the brim with hobbies and entertainment and luxury and waste it all. You will not be effective at staying until you are willing to go. You will not be effective at staying until you are willing to go. So yes, God needs lots of us to stay. And for that reason, I'm asking every single one of you this morning to be willing to go. Do you get that? Do you see how that works? Because once you're willing to go, then you're going to be able to stay effectively because you're not going to be staying by default. You're going to be staying on purpose. Staying because you believe that staying is the way that you can best contribute to the mission. And and one of the best ways I can think about this is the wars. And again, I know some of you don't like what happened in the wars, but just set that aside for a minute. Just think about the, the, the dynamic here, that there were many people here in Canada and the United States who couldn't go serve in the trenches. They couldn't go to the front lines, but they wanted to, and they would have if they could. And so they stayed on purpose, and they played their part in the great conflict. Look up the idea of a wartime lifestyle sometime. You see how people here rationed food and gas, and they trimmed their lifestyles, and they shaped their whole existence to serve the great mission on the front lines. And so if we stay, let's stay like that. Staying strategically, staying on purpose. And to sum it all up this morning, the question that I beg each one of you to ask yourself this morning is this. Where and how can I be the most effective that I can be for the cause of Christ Given who I am, given how the Lord has made me, given the way that the Lord has equipped me and shaped me, where can I serve most effectively and most strategically? How can I do as much as I can to finish the task of reaching 
the nations with the gospel? That's the question. Lord, help us, every single one of us, Lord, help us to ask that question this morning. And people, I pray that as you ask that question, that numbers of you say, I can be the most effective and the most strategic. I can be the most good to King Jesus by going. Here I am. Send me. I will go. Jennifer is going to come now and sing a song for us. This song is called Facing a Task Unfinished. It's been a missions anthem for almost 100 years. The words are going to be up on the screen so you can follow along and, and, and understand what's being sung. When they're finished singing this song, we're going to witness Rihanna Penner being baptized. This is so perfect this morning, right? Because what did Jesus tell us to do? He told us to go and make disciples baptizing them. And so what we get to see this morning in Rihanna's life and story and the experience of her baptism, this is the taste of what we are to bring to the nations. And then we're going to sing that new song again together. May the peoples praise you. And as we do that, I want you to think about the words and I want you to ask yourself, do you really mean them? Do you really want the peoples to praise him? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Holy Spirit, we need you in these moments. I pray that you would take all that is true from your word this morning that has been spoken by me and drive it down deep into the soil of our hearts. Protect it, Lord. Protect it, Lord, from skepticism. Protect it, Lord, from doubt. Protect it from unbelief. Make each one of us ready to obey, to take up our crosses, and to follow you. Some of us to the ends of the earth. <laughs>